Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. The real delicate balance is how do you educate, entertain, and inform, but also do it so much in a way that a person purchases the product. Haven't had a chance to listen to our first 50 episodes yet? Never fear, you've got time and they're not going anywhere. In the meantime, though, we've created an epic recap episode to keep you up to date with this ever-changing world. Throughout the first 50 episodes of Up Next in Commerce, we've chatted with some of the fastest-growing startups like Thrive Market and House, to the more well-known companies like Puma, Rosetta Stone, Bombas, and HP. Our guests have shared everything from their toughest lessons to their secrets to success to the must-know advice for every econ leader. And while every company is different and every story unique, over the last 50 episodes, several common themes have emerged. On today's special episode of Up Next in Commerce, host Stephanie Postles is joined by Albert Chow, the VP of Operations at Mission.org, to dive into some of these top trends. The two discuss the supply chain shakeups companies have had to face this year, and they do a deep dive into the world of influencers and how brands can work with them in a way that leads to lasting ROI. Plus, they look into their crystal balls to try to predict how D2C companies will work with and compete against Amazon. They debate how voice search will impact shopping, and they discuss what the future of shoppable worlds might look like. All of that and more is on today's episode, so stay tuned and enjoy. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder of Mission.org. Today, it's a new and interesting episode where I have our VP of Ops, Albert Chu, on the show, where we're going to go through the previous 50 episodes and talk about highlights and then talk about future trends that maybe no one has talked about on the show so far. Albert, welcome. (laughs) Yo, thanks for having me. But to be clear, we're not going to go by the 50 episodes one by one because we're going one by one. No, that's terrible. We can't do it. (laughs) Cannot do it. (laughs) So Albert, tell our listeners, why did I invite you on the show? Well, I do have my own e-commerce business, www.webrally.com. I've also helped out on a couple others. The biggest one got to 10 million a year and I worked for an e-commerce startup. Uh, one of the co-founders was a guest on the show at Ad Shoppers. So been working in the game of e-commerce probably since 2016 and still operating today. So learn from painful mistakes as well as seeing other people have great success. Yeah, you always have some really good feedback and comments on our prep doc. So our amazing producer, Hillary, will put together an awesome prep doc for every episode for me. And then you come in along with other all your other 
job responsibilities at Mission with the VP of Ops. You do everything here, but you also come in and add some good questions and comments. And that was why I thought it'd be fun to bring you on. So thanks for hopping on here with me. Yeah, let's do it. So to start, I thought we could kind of go through just some high level trends because through all the episodes that I've had and all the guests that we've had on the show so far, there's actually quite a bit of similarities that I heard. And starting with the first one, I think talking about supply chains is really interesting because so many of the guests who've come on have talked about the shakeup in supply chains that they've seen and how they're kind of pivoting and what they're experiencing. And I think that might be a good place to start. Well, when they talk about supply chain, everyone's competing against what Amazon has created, right? Mm -hmm. Amazon has created this expectation that you can get what you want when you want it pretty darn fast. And so if you're a direct consumer brand or any brand out there, if you're a retailer, that's what's becoming the now norm, right? Can you send it to your customer really fast? And can you take it back? That's like probably the most painful part of e-commerce is the fact that you do have a percentage of tolerance for returns. So the tighter your supply chain is, the more margin you can create in the process, the more able you can take a return without like losing losing everything. So I, I mean, it makes total sense that every business is trying to figure this out, how to get closer to the consumer, right? How to make things closer to the customer, how to make sure that they can take back whatever is being sent back. So it's just matching what the new customer expectation is. Yeah. I think it was also very interesting talking to the ship Bob guy where he was talking about how you can basically tap into you know, different fulfillment centers by using them. Whereas before everything with COVID, a lot of people actually were shipping all the way across the country and not really looking at maybe location-based ordering. Maybe some people were, but I found that kind of a good shakeup that now people are starting to think about how to do things more efficiently and how also not just to rely on one supply chain because a lot of them maybe are going out of business right now. A lot of the warehouses are having issues. There's a lot of inventory issues. So it's good to have, you know, not all your eggs in one basket. So it's not just that, the tech servicers. So there's there's companies out there that are investing into logistics infrastructure specifically for other people to share. So similar mm-hmm. to ShipBob, there's other competitors in that field, but it goes further than that. If you take a look at some of the publicly traded companies, uh, one of the larger e-commerce platforms, uh, they have invested heavily in infrastructure and warehousing. Mm-hmm. I know that Channel Advisor did the same exact thing. They literally bought a warehousing logistics company. And Channel Advisor for the longest time has been a company that helps you as a merchant list your products across the different marketplaces. So, you know, Stephanie's t-shirt company wants to list their product across Amazon. They want to list it across Rakuten. They want to list it across eBay and maybe some others. She would still have to ship and fulfill from her own store. So now why did Channel Advisor... Channel Advisor built that tool so you can list one product and get it plugged in everywhere. So why do they invest in all these warehousing companies? Now it hasn't come to full service yet, but like you can kind of see it down the road. Like the supply chain is where the innovation is going to occur, and I think you're going to continue to see that. You're going to see more entrants in it. Every it's just a, it's nonstop. That race will never stop. Basically, a customer can never get something fast enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's always going to be this push to get it there faster. Yeah, it's also interesting hearing about certain companies trying to compete with shipping models against Amazon and trying to have one and two day shipping. That feels like such a hard thing to create from scratch now. But Uh, I mean, if you can figure that out, like you're going to win. So I don't know if you know this stuff. I've also sold through FBA Amazon. Do you you, you know uh, how they do it? I think you told me that. What'd you sell, first of all? 
Uh, it was an adult card game. It was not. Uh-huh. It would be. <laughs> I don't want to hear anymore. This is a kid friendly show. <laughs> this is it was not kid friendly. But how it worked is so I got my order in China, right? And I had 5,000 pieces, literally shipped it to an FBA center in New Jersey, never touched mm-hmm. the product. And then Amazon automatically redistributed it across its fulfillment network. And I would get updates like, oh, we're moving, you know, two boxes to Texas. Why? Because we predict in Texas, someone will buy this. And therefore, by moving it closer to the customer, we can reduce the shipping with our internal. Did you have an influence over that like prediction model? Because now, like now more than ever, I'm like, how can anyone predict anything? I mean, there was a really good quote about, you know, are people like, should we be preparing for more people to buy inkjet inkjet printers because they're all working from home or like, extra freezers to prepare for the worst. Like there, it feels like there's no way to predict for that. So how would they even know that like, there's a couple in Texas who might want that. I think add to cart is what they're doing, right? They're looking at how many people are adding to cart. And then they're also looking at the percentage of conversion over time of people who do add to cart. So if you see a bunch of cart ads for this product or a bunch of search volume increasing for a product in a specific area, you can automatically assume that that product's going to be in demand in that area. They've probably Mm -hmm. gotten it down to super exact science. And yeah, I'm since, not going to question them. I'm sure they got yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and since they're always moving products within their own fulfillment network everywhere, they see that there's a probability this is going to happen. They just move it closer to you so that when it, they finally rely on last mile logistics, they, they're just, they've got it as close as possible so that they don't have to pay so much. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right, so the next one I want to kind of move into is influencers. So first we did a survey of our audience and a lot of people wanted to hear about influencers. How do I use influencers? Like what's a way, good, you know, a good way to actually get a good ROI on it. And a lot of our guests actually mentioned influencers as well. You know, some people were trying it out and were like, eh, I don't actually know if this is even working. Other people were having great success, but we're trying different models. So I don't know if you listened to the fancy.com uh, CEO, Greg Spillane I did. episode. Okay. Well, first of all, that guy's a Badass. I mean, <laughs> taking that company, his stories, like, did you hear about how he st- like went into a warehouse or a storage locker and found a bunch of credit cards that the founders were giving away with like a thousand dollars on it? And they're just giving it away to influencers just to try and get them to like use fancy.com. And like, did you did you hear some of his stories that he was going through about like what he experienced when coming into the company to try and turn it around? I mean, it's the classic, right? You have money to it's, money the classic, to blow. <laughs> it's the classic problem marking, right? You're pretty sure some of it's going to work. Some people say it's up to half. You just don't know which half, right? And so if you, you're just blowing money trying to get more movement, but I get what they, what they were originally trying to do, right? It makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you read about the stories of businesses like Gymshark, which built their built their whole business model off of in, influencers and they got to, you know, yeah. I think they just got a private equity valuation into the billions. Mm-hmm. So. Everyone wants to jump on that train. The problem is influencers themselves have created this marketplace, right? So if you claim you're an influencer and you have hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram, now influencers, they don't want to work on commission. They want to work on upfront fees. So Mm -hmm. there's like this new network, which you're now going to see tools come into place of helping merchants buy influence. And so that's, that's the next wave, right? Where because people, I mean, there's a lot of influencers that are frauds or they have no influence on their audience whatsoever. They just have a big Instagram following for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's I why, think all that's those why tools the coming are out so showing. Frustrated. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to know. You can see someone with a million followers. And something that I saw that was actually a good reminder for anyone with a small business was they were talking about how you can see if those followers have an intent to buy. So if you have some influencer on there and they're 
you know, showcasing some purse or some lipstick or whatever it might be. And the people in the comments are like, oh, cute or, you know, pretty or just liking it. Like they actually don't have followers who have an intent to buy versus you might see more, you know, micro influencers, like people that I follow from like around the area or something. And the people in those comments are like, where do I get that jacket from? Like, please link up your shirt. And those are the kind of influencers you want to go after because you actually know that like, if you're in front of their audience, they're ready to buy because they trust that person, which seems like it's kind of shifting. Whereas before it was like, just get the big name, the big followers. And now it's more like, let's make sure we get an ROI. How do we make sure to track this stuff and, you know, see some good conversions from it? Yeah. I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? So all you're looking at is what you assume is a big audience. And so that's the biggest misconception I think in social media is like, it doesn't determine their purchasing behavior. It's just, you know, I like this person because I think she looks good or I think he looks good or I think he's mm-hmm. funny. I don't know if they buy anything. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see tools coming out soon or maybe they're already out in the world showing like here are kind of the demographics of this person's followers. So like you can sign up with an influencer and also see, you know, the income levels, like the job title. So, you know, that what you're getting with that influencer is going to have good results because you can see the profile of their followers. So interesting. There's already platforms now that are like creating marketplaces of influencers. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll name one. We have not had their uh, CEO on the show, but uh, Grin.co, you should join the show. Um, so Grin- Get on here. Yeah. Grin is pretty fascinating because they've built this marketplace where you as a merchant can then log in and you can see all the influencers. You can search by category. Like, let's say I want surfing or you want food or you want outdoor, like whatever it is you want, it'll pull up a list of influencers and then it'll show you know the basic vanity metrics. But it also has ratings of probability of sale because they've already maybe done a campaign for another brand. So you as a brand can kind of see those numbers. Now, the problem always is is as a consumer is you kind of always get, you get drawn to the big numbers, right? So you'll see like, let's say the superstar TikTok girl, Charlie D'Amelio. I feel how do you pronounce her last name? D'Amelio? I don't know. And I'm surprised you even know anyone on TikTok. (laughs) Charlie DeMaio, right? You'll see her name and it'll show you like significant likelihood to influence dollars. It'll be significant, right? So, mm-hmm. but then as a brand, you have to determine, can you afford her? Because she doesn't tweet or TikTok for you for nothing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, yep. Like, it'll be hilarious. Like, it'll say her agency and she, of course she's repped by a huge agency. So yep. that's where even tools like that, the problem is, is like the, let's say the signal to noise ratio is still overwhelmingly noise. And the ones that have tremendous signal, well, the problem is you can't afford it. So I think the tools have to try to figure out like by budget almost, like how much ROI are you going to get per $1,000 of spend or something like that. That's probably going to be the next wave of uh, measurement. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think also the platforms are trying to catch up to be able to actually, you know, attribute sales to these influencers. I know TikTok is trying to do that right now. Like Instagram's been trying to do that, but I think they are still implementing a lot of features to actually allow the influencers to get paid. So I think with that, you'll see a whole new wave of new influencers or micro influencers as well, because now they can actually get paid where, I mean, I saw someone, they were talking about some, I think it was like some coffee mug or I don't know, cup or something on TikTok. And it was on Amazon, but they didn't have any links or anything. And it sold out on Amazon because this one girl was talking about the functionality of it and how much she liked it. And people were like, oh, how do I buy through your link? I want to make sure you get a cut of it. And she was like, "Ah, I don't need that. Like I just review stuff because it's fun. And so it's interesting seeing how you have the influencers who really do care about that attribution and won't work without it versus the people who maybe are big influencers, but aren't actually looking for that, at least not right off the bat, or maybe because there's friction right now with setting up that model. Well, I think the bigger you get as an influencer, the more you can charge for your time 
than results. So <laughs> if you're a superstar, like uh, let's go with professional athletes, like the original influencers, right? If you're a LeBron James, you're Michael Jordan, and someone wants to buy your name, you just charge them for the name. Like you're like, I don't yeah. know if you'll get $1 of sales. I'm just telling you right now that I'm not repping your product unless you pay me this much money. Mm-hmm. It's still it's still this push and pull kind of like where brands want all this information. They want to know your audience. They want to know all that stuff. And then influencers themselves are getting so big. We're reading about how these people on TikTok are, you know, kids. I call them kids. I'm old, but you know, they're making a hundred grand a month. And that's like considered an average influencer. I'm like, why are we talking about like a hundred grand a month to make TikTok dance videos? And yeah, so I can see a brand wanting to be like, well, how much will I get for sales? And the guy, I can just see how tough it is when the kid on the other end says, well, I won't TikTok dance for you for under a hundred thousand. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I just read that uh, the next generation is getting paid more than ever right now, not just for being influencers, but just for like a lot of things. Like they're demanding higher payment than any other generation before them. That's a, uh, that's good. <laughs> good intense though. And- yeah. Hey, listen, you d- d- ask for whatever you want. If you can get it, might as well ask for it. Why not? <laughs> very, very true. So I think yeah, the high level summary for that one then is just that most brands should be exploring like influencers in your market, but also making sure that you're setting up the ROI and tracking it correctly and maybe looking for those new new tools that are coming out um, or that are already out to make sure that wherever you're devoting your budget to, you actually can track it where in the past, maybe it wasn't as required by your company or your own, you know, yourself to have that many, you know, metrics behind it. But now you actually can. So well, it seems like it's worthwhile. Yeah, I I actually think some of the some of our other guests that really talked about investing significantly into the product and making sure that the customer experience from the moment that they sign up to buy it to the receive it that that experience is airtight because mm-hmm. that's where you're going to find your influencers, right? I think a couple of the men's shaving companies like Supply and Beard Brand talked about how they built a community of people who use these products. Yep. Well, that's the ultimate influence right there, right? Constant good reviews of your products. And if you get lucky enough to find, you know, a Dogface 208, then you win. Dogface is the guy that skateboarded while singing Fleetwood Mac and drinking Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice. Cranberry juice sales, all-time high. So this wasn't a paid campaign or paid activation. All Sales are an all-time high. Like they're talking Mm -hmm. about it might save the Wisconsin cranberry farming industry. (laughs) Oh <laughs> That's gosh. how much in demand cranberry juice is right now. So if you have a great product, your likelihood of getting a, catching a wave, I think is much greater than if, you know, you're just constantly paying influencers. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that idea of like, make sure all your other ducks are in a row first before you start going after influencers. I think we've had a couple guests who talked about like, you really need to make sure your whole, you know, everything from start to finish to unboxing to follow up, that needs to be airtight before you start trying a bunch of other things, because then you are at risk of getting distracted and actually not being able to focus on not only your core product, but also, you know, your customer experience. You got it. All right. So the other thing that I think was interesting that a lot of people have talked about is, of course, like Omnichannel. And I like thinking about, I mean, one of our guests was talking about the reinvention of brick and mortar mortar stores and talking about how it's now turning to be more about experiential experiences instead of just going there to buy something because so many people now are shifting to a place where they're actually very comfortable buying online, even if they never did before. And going into the store is more about having a good experience and something to draw them in there versus actually making a purchase in store. I think it's all about experiences now and people are going to expect something very different going forward than they ever um, expected before. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the magic question, right? People are trying to, trying to 
we I've read articles about re-envisioning the mall of the future. Um, if I think about current present retailers that are doing a pretty good job, it seems like, I mean, obviously Apple store seems to be like one of the leaders where mm-hmm. I had not admittedly walked by an Apple store recently, but <laughs> I do remember back when I did, you know, six months ago, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> there were a lot of people in there, a lot of people in there touching the products, manipulating the products. They made it a very hands-on experience. I can think of other businesses that have done a really good job. Like why does every Bass Pro Shops have a giant aquarium in the middle of the store? Because they want you to go look at it. You know what I mean? Like to pull you Mm -hmm. in. They know you're a hobbyist. So I don't know how good businesses are going to be at doing that, but I know that they're all trying. I mean, they have to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we had Little Burgundy Shoes on, they were talking about how they were actually partnering with other people you know, other like shops or people that are on the same street as them, even if it was like a bank they're partnering with. And it was they were kind of doing giveaways or doing just different like social distance events or things like that uh, to make sure to get people in the store because they're like, we don't really mind if you buy, but just coming in and getting that customer experience that we have and being able to get in the vibe of the music and like actually experiencing our brand, even if it's only for a moment, is worth so much more than, you know, buying online is important, but we also want you to know who we are. And if that means partnering with other brands around us to give you like an added benefit, I mean, that's where I can see a lot of other brands doing that partnership strategy to try and get different customers that you would maybe never touch before in the same place. Yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll, it remains to be seen if that'll work. Cause I always, I always think when I hear about the people with the brand experience, I don't question it at all. Borders books or Barnes and Noble's books. Like I felt like those are really inviting places. They had nice couches, like good coffee, yeah. like it smelled great. There's always baked goods there. You can read whatever magazine you wanted or check out books and they never kicked you out or nothing if you were hanging out there, but it didn't work. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> there weren't enough people buying the books. They were just chilling, I guess. So I guess that's the real delicate balance, which is how do you educate, entertain, and inform but also do it so much in a way that a person purchases the product versus, I don't know, coming in there and just yeah. hanging out all day long. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes me wonder just about the business model though, of like, are you encouraging people to buy? Because I mean, I don't know how the Amazon bookstores are doing now, but when I went into them, when we were in Seattle, it was just a very different experience because what you could get in the store was not what you can get online, not what you would get at any other bookstore, because it was actually, you know, here's a review that we picked out so you can kind of get a feel for this book. Or here's like, you know, some of our top charting books right in front of you. So it was kind of like it was bringing an online experience offline as well, but in a very different way where I was actually, you know, I wanted to go in there, I wanted to hang out. But then I also found myself buying online afterwards. I was taking pictures of books and then I was just going on Amazon and buying. So it seems like they figured it out there and they don't have too much inventory to where they're holding a bunch of books and expecting them to sell. Um, But it seems like it needs to move more to that model instead of, you know, thousands of books hoping someone comes in and buys. I can see that and more curated. I know Amazon's experimenting with like their five-star stores where it's only physical products that have earned, uh, you know, an average of four and a half, five stars. So it's more of a curated experience, which is what we're more used to online. Instead of looking at your whole catalog of crap, we see exactly what we're looking at, what we want to see or the best stuff right up front. Yeah. And that's also something a lot of guests have mentioned is about that personalized experience and making sure that, you know, what you're showing a new customer is what they want to see. And I think the idea of curation too, I mean, people are trusting not only these influencers, but also just people that they trust in general, where it's like, oh, my friend, you know, likes this. So making sure that you can kind of show that or have that curated experience, I think will be important going forward. Yeah. So this is interesting because I think this is actually a self-fulfilling prophecy of what's happening with like consumer behavior and curation, which is the more 
curated things become, the more likely or the lower the tolerance a person's patience becomes for browsing. Because I've read stats about how the average web browser, uh, consumer or whatever, is spending less time on pages, clicking through less links, click. So, because they're constantly being served, let's say, what they want sooner, faster. So then they react that way. So it's like a, it's like feeding itself, right? Where now feeding the, consu- the beast. <laughs> yeah. The consumer expectations, like if you don't know what I want within two clicks, bouncing. You're done. You know? <laughs> like I can't, I don't got time for this three clicks. I'm out. Yeah. That's tricky. I mean, it is kind of like building up, you know, a monster in a way where everyone's going to have to keep yeah, leveling up their game with yeah, how their new customers or current customers experience their shops. Yeah. It's going to be painful for merchants to do this. I think it's going to be very painful or the opportunity, or they can look at it the other way. There's an opportunity for a technology vendor that can do it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyone who's got those good recommendations and yep, they're already ahead of the game if they're implementing that. All right. So the next trend, which actually no one really talked about, but it's more around like partnerships, but I saw a very interesting partnership. I don't know if you have heard of that show on Netflix called Get Organized, where they were like going into homes like Reese Witherspoon and they're organizing her house and it's, it's very popular now. Maybe your wife watched it. <laughs> have you heard of that? <laughs> I can conceptualize what it is, but I have not seen it nor heard of it. Okay. So they partnered with a container store and they did it in like a really good organic way where, you know, of course they're putting everything in containers and organizing it. And it made the container store sales jump by like 17% after this series went out. And I thought that was like a really good example of not just product placement, but doing it in a way that wasn't annoying and like having a good, not only a partnership from like the product perspective, but they also partnered with Netflix from the marketing aspect. So it's like a good, well-rounded approach, but it also didn't make the content suffer. And I haven't seen a lot of companies do it that well. Uh, You always can think of like other companies. I mean, there's product placement in like almost everything, but you don't walk away being like, oh, I really need that to complete my experience. And I can just see a lot of more or a lot more unique partnerships forming like that in the future where people are thinking outside the box and they're not just doing the typical, you know, like, oh, let's just try this and see how it works. Like I can see more people experimenting with this, maybe not on that large of a level, but I just thought that was a really unique um, partnership. And especially being able to see the sales jump right after it, it shows that they, it paid off. Do you think that was because they were actively solving a problem, right? You're disorganized. I'm going to show you how to get organized. So inherently the audience that watches it is looking to solve that problem. So inherently they then go purchase those yeah, products I or mean, source those products. Yep. I, I think that, I mean, they definitely, of course, nailed like the perfect person who would have an intent to buy is someone who's also trying to get organized. But I think the way that they did it just wasn't like hitting you over the head with it. It was kind of like, well, here's what we use. Like it was like no big deal if you want to use it too. Like this is what we used. And I think that's actually like the perfect strategy of like, we're not going to push this on you. We're not going to be annoying about it. This isn't an ad, but this is just exactly what we use to make this look perfect. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for other brands to think about that of like, how do you do it in a way where the content's still good? It's not making you feel pressured, but it's, you know, in the back of your mind of like, oh, this is what I could use to be like Reese Witherspoon, which she's the best. Who <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's the classic, like, is this a threat or is this an opportunity? Right. Because it just depends yeah. on the eye of the beholder. But one of the things to your point that makes it a threat to existing brands is if they're not good at it, one of the opportunities influencers see is that it's now easier than ever to make and source their own products under their own brand labels, right? So mm-hmm. like, like think of the power that Chip and Joanna Gaines have gained, right? So yep. now it's to the point where it's like, they're going to be almost impossible to buy because Magnolia products is coming mm-hmm. and it's already here and it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger. 
you already know they know how to organically insert their products into all their content of you already think their style is the best. You already think their builds are the best. You already think their personalities are the best. Now it's going to be, now they're not even doing the partnership deal, right? It's like, now it's not like, oh, go to Target to get the Magnolia collection. Nah, go to Magnolia to get the Magnolia yeah. collection, right? They're going to cut the, the distribution network out and just be like, we're the distributors of this. And that's always a challenge, I think. I think that's, I, I do think that's something of the things that the brands get nervous about is because like, you know, if you if you sponsor somebody and they do a really great job, well, what stops them from cutting you out of the equation? Yep. Which is also what a lot of brands are scared about with Amazon. I mean, we heard mixed messages about that where some people were very excited about partnering with them. They were getting championed on that platform. Amazon was promoting them and they weren't really worried too much about it. They were like, why wouldn't you be on Amazon? Because that's where everyone's at. You should be selling on there. And then we heard, you know, quite a few other e-commerce leaders who were like, no way would I get on there. Like you, you know, you're not gonna make as much money. You can't control the experience. You can't control where it's being seen. And I want to make sure, you know, my D2C company is being portrayed how I want it. And I don't want it to be knocked off on Amazon. So same kind of thing there. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's, and that's never going to stop. Yep. So the other... Constant, constant threat, market share takeover. Oh, I know. Yeah. Constant battle, but interesting to watch. I don't know. I, I think most people should be on Amazon though, because I do think that is where so many people are. It seems like it's where you need to be. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed here. Here's what's interesting. The biggest players have kind of stepped off, but like, you know, like Nike, Nike has enough power, I think, to step off that platform. Mm, Um, But if you're trying to be discovered or make, I mean, it just does seem overwhelmingly hard to do it without that distribution network. Yeah. I mean, when we were talking about shoppable TV, I'm also thinking about, I mean, you might know this better since your kids, you know, are on some of these gaming type of platforms, but having shoppable worlds, whatever that may be, seems like something that could be coming in the future, but it's just, we're not there yet. Probably. I mean, I know we are when it comes to like virtually shopping for things of like, Oh, I want to make sure to get this, like, you know, whatever this is in this world, I want to buy it. But it seems like there could be an opportunity as well for implementing your products into those worlds that are being built up right now. Yeah. Personally, I'm not as bullish on that. Cause I, I, I mm-hmm. still think people want to, I don't know. I, I just think people want to, cause I definitely see my kids being drawn in when they're playing games. Like they recognize products. It's what's weird is when kids, to me, it's what's weird is for anyone who has kids that play Roblox, like my kids see things on Roblox and they want to buy them and they're digital products. Yeah. So they don't. And like, what are they? What are they buying? Like the new sword. You know what I mean? Like, I want this sword. It's like, what sword? It's like the digital sword. It's like, what do you mean it's a digital sword? It's like my character can carry this sword if I buy this with real cash. Yep. Like that makes no sense to me. What are you talking about? What? (laughs) Exactly. So I'm like, I think it could be transitioning eventually. I mean, yes, people always want those digital Sores. I mean, I heard that people are buying like t-shirts in there. Like, I want to make sure my little avatar guy is wearing the coolest t-shirt. Like, yeah. I don't really understand that. Yeah. But then, I mean, I don't know if you heard about uh, like Fortnite had Travis Scott do like a virtual concert and it was like watched by millions of people. Yep. Like, there's a very big reason why people be like, whatever he was wearing, I want to wear. No, did you, hear about, like, did you hear about Travis Scott's McDonald's deal? Uh, no. What's that? It was like the number one selling meal for like the last couple of months. It got to the point Just where- Just McDonald's in general? What's his meal? The Travis Scott meal. I don't know. Whatever his. Let's look. <laughs> it's it's literally his meal. Like you know what I mean. You can have a number one. You can have a number two. You can have a Travis Scott. It says the Travis Scott meal is a quarter pounder with cheese, lettuce, and bacon. <laughs> hey, what? I'm just saying. That's the power of. You're talking yeah. about like digital worlds meeting. That I mean, there's the power of influence too. But he's like he's already a mega celebrity, right? I view it as this is like what people are into, and this is why, like I was saying before, is like I, I feel like 
I age out of this stuff very quickly. And we talk about ever evolving change. Like I came from a time where if I didn't have a physical product in my hand, I didn't think it was like, I didn't think it was real. Like I remember when MP3s yep. first came out, I was like, why would I buy an MP3? It's like, it's a digital version of your song. I was like, what if I lose it? <laughs> like, and we'd be like, what if you lose your CD? He's like, but at least I'm in control of my CD. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like that's oh my, my CD. I know where it is. I take responsibility for it. Like I was slow to convert there. And I've always been kind of, I, I feel like for me, I'm always slow to convert to digital products. But then when I watch my kids, mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable. Like they're, they're they don't, they're, I don't even think they're interested in physical products. Like they keep wanting digital things. They want more games. Yeah. They want more currency for their players. They they just want this stuff. So that's why I kind of didn't answer because I was thinking simultaneously in my head, this is never going to work. Yep. But I think I mean, this is not going to work on me, but this is going to work on my kids because it's happening right now. I get bills yeah, all I'm, the time on my 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 Google Play app, iTunes account. Just like, what is this? Like, dang it! Don't you buy one more virtual sword? <laughs> so grounded. So will companies start integrating? Like, all right. So let's take let's take one of our t-shirt clients. Right. We've kind of asked this. We've asked this to all of them. How do you convey that your product is soft? You know, silky. Whatever their product descriptors are, yep. to someone without them touching it. And so you, it makes you wonder, like in the future, is someone going to see a yellow hammock in their virtual world and be like, huh? And it'll pop up a ding, like, bing, not only can your character have a yellow hammock, you can have one too. It's like, oh, okay, I mean, cool. Yeah, especially if you can kind of see it blowing in the wind or you can see that shirt like, oh, that's form fitting on this, you know, person in my virtual world that I really like. Like if you can kind of see things and details about it that mimic it. I mean, it seems like there's an opportunity there. It might not be here just yet. And you definitely have to figure out the demographics behind it because, yeah, I mean, like you said, you might not be interested in that. However, I was listening to a pretty good interview with this guy, Matthew Ball. Um, He was the former head of strategy at Amazon Studios. And he had a really good episode talking about how he was like the same as you, like, oh, this just isn't my world. However, I see actually a lot of companies, they will start being able to adapt these same types of technologies to where like the older generation will actually start adopting it as well. They just are trying to figure that out right now of like, what will they feel comfortable with? And what are they looking for? Like, what problems can you solve to get them there? Yeah, it'll be fascinating. I mean, it'll, it's going to be pretty fascinating when someone's upsell customer journey path is actually get the digital avatar to consume this product first and then offer the physical. You know what I mean? Like, like we talked mm-hmm. about the hammock. Can you imagine that? Like, well, my avatar really likes this hammock. He sleeps great. I think I might get one for myself in real life. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, I kind of would. I would do it. <laughs> I need to get in these worlds to really experience it. But I mean, it does just seem like that is where the world is trending right now around, you know, these games. And I mean, a company I follow really closely is Epic Games. I think like, yeah, I think their leadership team is like brilliant around what they're doing with their platform and how they're essentially like giving away almost all the underlying technology that other companies have been charging for for a really long time. And they're kind of building this really big moat to be able to expand in a bunch of different ways. So I kind of keep tabs on them. And then it also, of course, influences my, you know, my commerce hat when I'm thinking about too, of like, oh, wow, these two worlds could blend together in a really unique way. And whoever gets there first, you know, usually the first movers are the ones that can get that arbitrage. So it seems like an interesting spot to watch. Yes. The Unreal Engine for our listeners yeah. that are not familiar. Yeah. Epic built a platform called the Unreal Engine of which you can build your gaming world on so that you could use, think of it as like less code. Like you would less code, mm-hmm. less character development. Like it's all built for you. Just add your characters and it can build worlds for you. And how yep. they do it is they don't, they charge you a royalty fee. I believe it's like 5%, but only yeah. if your sales are over a specific number. Yeah. It's like very beneficial to the creators. And that's why a lot of people are moving to that platform now 
because, you know, they're used to having these apps where certain stores are taking like 30 and 40%. And if you move to Unreal, like you're essentially keeping the majority of your sales. Yeah. And you don't have to pay until you reach a certain number. So by the time you're paying Epic, you've already made it. So it's like, and then, and then there you're fine with it. I guess the number is tolerable. By the way, if you follow Epic's uh, Epic Games founder, Tim Sweeney on Twitter right now, he's in a constant fight with Apple over Apple's Oh, royalties. I know. He does I not see. like it. I wouldn't either. It's a fun follow, though. It's a great follow. <laughs> you go, Tim. I'm going to follow you right now. All right. So the last one that I want to talk about is, I think this is interesting. You might be like, that's weird. But I think there's such a big opportunity for optimizing not only your website for voice searches, but also potentially like building out custom Alexa skills to solve a problem. Like I see people doing that right now, but not really in e-commerce as much. But like, think about having Alexa where you're like, hey, Alexa, tell me what wine goes best with this kind of recipe. Or hey, Alexa, suggest some outfit for me based on the weather today. And you kind of build a tool that's actually helpful. That's also, you know, of course, like very close to your brand. And so you can become top of mind by building out those skills or just implementing voice search in general. I just think the world is headed in that way because the technology is starting to get better. But I don't see a lot of brands jumping on that right now. I think the the ability for AI to understand intent and meaning isn't quite there yet. Um, I, I'm trying to think of myself using my own consumer behavior, right? Do I use voice to text right now to enter searches? Yeah, because it's a lot easier than typing it in or swiping it in, right? So if I want to ask Google a question, I will just click, you know, the rec- you know the the mic button and yep. talk. Would I do that to solve problems? I don't know, but I think I haven't yet because contextually it's very difficult, but it won't be far, right? So right now, I think a lot of people will Google like best. Yep. Like you said, best way to do X for Y, right? Yeah. And then the next level is going to be, can NLP technology, AI technology, whatever it is going to be that understands the nuance and intent and meaning, start Mm -hmm. making like super personalized recommendations. So like, can you imagine if you went to Home Depot this because what you're talking about would be super cool. If you go to Home Depot and say, Hey, my garbage disposal broke. How do I replace it? And it just comes up with like, boom, you're gonna need this, 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 this. You're gonna need and then it gives me like a how-to guide of how I yeah. buy a garbage disposal. I'm gonna need these tools. I'm gonna need these sealants in a Could video. Can you imagine like saying that? Like, here's exactly how you're gonna fix it. Let me send you a video to your phone. And like you need like Albert's brand of screws and yeah. <laughs> like literally like dropping, you know, your own products in there of like, this is how I would fix it. And also here's a how-to video. And you walk away being like, wow, I not only bought that brand stuff, maybe, or I didn't, but they're top of mind now that they actually helped me fix my garbage disposal. Like, how cool would that be? So there was a while ago, speaking of this, there's a there was a while ago where I believe it was the president of O'Reilly. I'm pretty sure it was. The O'Reilly Auto Parts basically came out and said that Amazon was not a threat because buying car parts is very complicated. I'm not saying he's yeah. wrong, right? Yeah. Right now, car parts really aren't bought on Amazon because you have to know what model you have. You have to know the year, the make, the model. You actually have to know something about fixing cars to even begin to find the part. But can yep. you imagine a future where you can ask it a question like, hey, uh, you go to O'Reilly or wherever you go and you say, my air conditioner's not cold. And it like remembers your car model. It's like, oh, you're going to need X, Y, Z. Would you like me to book you an appointment if you can't do this yourself? Like, yeah, book me one. I don't want to do this. <laughs> 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 yes, please. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's where I think the world is headed. And I mean, we did have a good interview. It wasn't in our first 50. Um, it was one of our more recent ones talking about like the world of identity and how you should be able to go places and it should know, you know, you shouldn't always have to refill in your info. It should know maybe what's your brand of 
cars if you put it somewhere else before. So I'm trying to think of what episode that was. Fast. Hmm. Oh, yeah, Fast. Fast. Yeah, that was such an interesting episode. I mean, that one's coming up right after this one drops. But Dom was so interesting where he was going through, not only are they doing, you know, payments and identity, but like where the world was headed around, you know, you should always have a buy now button on every single one of your products. Like you shouldn't just make people add stuff to cart and then do the shipping and all that. Like you should let them buy when they want to buy it. And he was talking about the conversions behind that. Um, But all that gets back to, you know, the identity piece, which is what you're talking about, like going into an auto parts store of like, you should be able to say, here's what I'm looking for. And it should know like, okay, based on the information I have about you, here's what I'm going to recommend for you and make it seamless and frictionless. I mean, yeah, but (laughs) everyone wants that. I don't know if the technology is here for you. I don't know what yours is, Albert. Well, I think it's going to get there. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not a matter of if, but when, but like for anyone that's used an AI chatbot yet and been frustrated because you ask it a simple question and it's like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> so mm-hmm. We're not, you know, we're not there yet. So, but I think it's coming yeah. for sure. It's coming. Um, the technology providers though, are going to be the ones focusing on that the most. I don't know mm-hmm. when the merchants can start tapping into that resource, but. Yeah. That's why I think it's interesting to kind of keep an eye on these you know, new startups and new tech companies that are launching around this stuff, like Fast, um, or even like the technologies like GPT-3. When that came out, I mean, I was just reading a whole article about how this guy created a program where you essentially can just talk and it'll build a website for you. So you can say, create a red button, have the drop down say this, like have the picture do this, grab the picture from, you know, here. And you're essentially like, it is no code. You are speaking and it is coding for you in the background. So I think the world's headed there, but you just have to try and stay on top of like, those trends or the companies and try things out, honestly, like experiment with it and see if it could work without bogging, you know, things down. Cause I know you have been the first to say that like the amount of plugins that you add on your website is just going to bog it down and website speeds like number one. So there is that balance, but I think it's interesting to stay on top of like the trends outside of just your current industry. Yeah. Are we going to get to the point where we all have our own Jarvis? I don't know, but if that happens, it will be cool. (laughs) <laughs> Jarvis from I'm Iron Man if, if, for, for, for anyone that's not familiar with what I'm talking about right Robert Downey I Jr. was actually familiar with that one yeah there you go look at you watching movies and stuff I know look at me I'm so trendy <laughs> it's not trendy it's definitely very old I think that yeah, means it's like a decade old now <laughs> yeah still great though um, yeah all right so are there any other um forward-looking trends that you think are interesting right now so we essentially covered the things that were in the 50 episodes which were awesome yeah, really cool high level themes, but all the episodes had really good juicy nuggets in each one. And then we looked at some of the forward thinking themes that maybe weren't covered, but I just think are interesting. But anything else that you can think of where you're like, I think a lot of people aren't thinking about this or aren't paying enough attention to this world that could help an e-commerce store owner. Well, we got to do a big shout out to my, to our awesome producer, Hillary, who just yes. loves Peloton. <laughs> She does because Peloton. If, if you work at Peloton, so you I need bought Hillary. stock in Peloton, uh, <laughs> yep. and, and here's the reason why: I've never encountered a brand that I can think of where people so emphatically talk about it, like Peloton and maybe CrossFit. Like everyone jokes, okay, that the yeah. first rule of CrossFit is you can't stop talking about CrossFit. I think that's also applicable <laughs> to Peloton because people who have Peloton oh, yeah. love Peloton. So I think this concept of building community so that your product extends beyond the purchase of the of the product, right? Meaning like mm-hmm. you buy a physical bike, but you would stay subscribed to Peloton services because I think every brand or not every brand, cause I, you know, could you do it with a bowl? I don't know, you know, but brands <laughs> and products, companies are probably trying to figure out how do I create a subscription community? I think that yeah. is going to be a trend that you can capitalize on now. 
because it doesn't require, I don't think, as much technology that doesn't exist. But it's more like, how do you build ongoing services at a price point where customers never want to leave you? So like, like let's use my example of like kitchenware. Should fork and knife and bowl companies have active cooking communities? I think they should. Yeah, I mean, that was our interview with Food 52, like Amanda Hesser. That's exactly what they did. They built up this huge online community first, and then they started um, like reselling other people's products, like drop shipping them. And then they created their own brand and they did it in a way where they're like, by then we had this huge community that, you know, we were doing cooking things together. Yeah. And they could like, already forecast their a, sales. They were like, oh, we, yeah. we, we can automatically yeah. assume how many people are going to buy this. I know. And that was like a long haul for them. I mean, she was the first to say that. However, I'm like, you essentially are launching to an audience that trusts you, trusts your content. Like you have, you know, this love for just anything that you're doing after you built this community, but trying to figure out how to do that right or like figuring out what actually keeps people coming back and how to keep them engaged, I think is really difficult, like without being annoying and without pushing your product too much. Like when you start in a more content focused way, it seems like it can be a lot more organic to build up those followers to then shift into a product where you have that trust. But it does seem hard when, you know, you're launching a new like DTC company and also trying to do content at the same time. It seems hard to figure, you know, figure that piece out. You know, and if we go back in time, right, Michelin figured this out. Michelin figured out that people weren't driving enough. So they created their star review system because they mm-hmm. wanted people to drive and experience things all over the world. To the point now where, you know, here we are today, we people still talk about Michelin star ratings for restaurants. It's still that important. People can't put two and together and say, why would a tire company create that? So if you have that today, I think that is, that's probably the next biggest trend. And you can already kind of see it happening. I think more products are going to try to create worlds that their products of, or problems that their products and services solve. Yep. Or whether it's exploratory or problem solving, I don't know. But, you know, when it comes to like Peloton, I just I just think about the community that they've built, the fact that people just rave about the product. Like we got our buddy Hillary here. She's got a bike. It's not broken. She says they launched a new bike. The screen tilts so I can do yoga and then get back on the bike. And it had a price point and a really high price point. I mean, Hillary was considering like getting a loan to get this thing, which which by the way, they offer. <laughs> <laughs> they, they would. They, they offer financing. We need to put Hillary's um her little like affiliate code. I don't know if she has one. She needs one. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, the brand love that she has, but it's not just her. You know, that's we. I say Hillary because you know Hillary. We obviously work with her, but it's not. People love this product. So, I mean, there you go. Are you looking at our prep doc? She says H underscore tag twenty four. Okay, if you want to buy. <laughs> H underscore tag 24. If you want to follow our buddy Hillary on Peloton, not only will she kick your ass and get all this calories or I don't even know what you guys measure. However you score points, she's scoring all the points. (laughs) I don't know if that's a thing. Outputs. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Okay. Outputs. Got it. Like uh, this is going down a bad hole. I'm not sure what we're talking about here. (laughs) Well, we were saying like, what's the next, what's the next thing to be aware of? I think, I I mean, I think that is closer than all those voice searches and things like that, that that you talked about, which I think are coming. I think you're going to see more companies build communities. And I also think you're going to see more companies get burning out customers by trying to make everything like SaaS. Because one of my favorite Twitter handles to follow, everyone check it out. It's called the internet of shit. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's just nonstop products that don't work if you aren't subscribed to their services. So businesses out there that try to make me subscribe to make my refrigerator work, I'm anti you. All right. Definitely anti you. Don't want to hear about it. 
Uh, so follow the internet of shit if you guys are curious. I'll have to follow that one. <laughs> but that, that's the that's the delicate balance, right? How do you build a community of value that you charge for versus like putting someone in like a entrapment where you're like you're forcing funds out of them every month just to use your product? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I especially think after everything with COVID, like people are also going to be dying for that community, even if it has to be online. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people it's going to be bigger now than it ever was before because people have been cooped up and haven't been able to, you know, have that community like they maybe have been used to, or they're actually maybe cherishing it in a different way now. And they're like trying to look for that. So I think it'll be a big opportunity. There you go. All right. Any other, anything else on your mind? If not, I think this was a fun episode. This is a good one. I hope so. I, I can never tell. So I was, <laughs> <laughs> you really know. Yeah. You're always like, I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I think this episode was awesome. It's really fun just kind of reminiscing through all the episodes we did. I can't believe we've already had 50. Uh, if you have not given us a review and a rating and subscribed, please do, because that helps spread the word. And we would love to hear how we're doing. We also have some really good interviews coming up, like we were mentioning earlier. Um, the CEO of Fast is coming on. We have a really cool company, Handwritten, coming on with Handwritten Letters, Sheets and Giggles. I mean, Ring, we've got some big names coming up here and... Yeah, I'm excited to do this next recap after the next 50. Until then. All right. Thanks, Albert. Go buy something from one of our guests. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) See you later. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.